Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Well, she's got a lot of things on her mind to talk about now. She's taking care of her voice, so you know that she's not gonna shout now. Shout now, she's not gonna shout. So get your headphones ready to hear what it's all about. Sound now, when it's all about. We'll have no fun, no fun, cause your purpose podcast comes out today. We'll have no fun, 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 cause your purpose podcast comes out today. Oh, we're, oh my god. Oh my God, I hit record. No fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 357, coming at you the week of October 14th, 2020, day something of quarantine, although I really can't say it's quarantine, but of not living a normal life. Huh, how are you guys? Are you new to my podcast? I don't know. Maybe check out other episodes first. Maybe not. Maybe this is exactly where you need to be. But uh, what is this podcast? Well, I'm Jen Kirkman. I'm a longtime comedian touring all over this fine world. Of course, not right now. My two comedy specials are streaming on Netflix right now. I'm going to die alone and I feel fine and just keep living. Um, I'm also a best-selling author. No big deal. You can find my two books anywhere you buy books. Let's be honest. Only one of them was a bestseller. I know what I'm doing in other lives, I tell myself, and I can barely take care of myself. So this is neither an audio book, nor is it a comedy special. I think you get what a podcast is. I'm one of those solo podcast people where I just talk about what's going on in my head and my life, what went on this week, maybe some stories from my past. It's sometimes funny, sometimes serious, always the real me. Welcome, everybody. This would normally be where I would announce my tour dates, but there is no, ain't no tour dates because there is a pandemic. And I know Donald Trump said, don't be afraid of COVID. Get back out there. Risk your life. Everybody's getting it. Everybody's getting the COVID-19. Come on, White House, contract the COVID. Everyone has it and it didn't affect me so far. Come on, White House, get the COVID-19. 
All right, so, but I am not going out there. And uh, so I will not be on tour. But here is where I will tell you you can find me. I think you've already heard the ad up top for the Christmas show. I will just remind you, yes, the Jen Kirkman dysfunctional Christmas show will be. Are there two kinds of music playing at once? Am I having a stroke? No, there's just one. Um, Friday, December 4th at 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Eastern time, all other time zones. Figure it out for yourself. And if you buy it and you can't make it, you get to own it for 48 more hours before it disappears into the world, into the ether, into the nothingness from once we all came. So you don't even have to be there in order to buy a ticket. Tickets are 20 bucks. This is the only online Zoom. It's not Zoom. It's a company called On Location Live. It's the only online show that I'm doing in 2020 or 2021. I'm really winding it down here, folks. So I would, I would get on this show. This is real special. And it's a Christmas show that I do every year. And uh, for, for once, the whole world can see it. So thanks, COVID. And, uh, you know, if you are a regular listener of this podcast, another great way to support me is joining the Patreon. For only $5 a month, you get the video version, which has bonus content every week, usually of me dancing. And then, no, but sometimes also some other stuff. You get a free bonus 20-minute episode every month. Uh, and... It goes up from there. $10 a month, you get a one-hour bonus every month, plus two 20-minute bonuses. And all of these little 20-minute bonuses are always about something silly going on in pop culture or celebrity. Um, So, patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. And as always, I throw in extra bonuses that I never even promised you. Like stand-up from the road over the past couple years. Stand-up you have not heard anywhere else because it's not on my specials. It's a great way to support me. Because that is now my job. So get on it. You might know, oh, what's five bucks a month? That's not going to help. Well, what if 500 people signed up for 500 bucks a month? I mean, five bucks a month. (laughs) That's a lot of money. There you go. Okay, great. So, patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. You could join for a year and get a discount. Or join for a month and cancel any time. I don't care. I'm not checking. I'm not offended. Let's get into this week's episode. What are we going to talk about? Oh, we're going to talk about Trump has COVID, flying cars, rest in Pinot, drunk history, and maybe if we have time, some listener emails and life on other planets. There's yet more news about life on other planets. So anyway, may I recommend to all of you, please subscribe to this podcast. Don't just listen to it. Subscribe wherever you subscribe. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Stitcher. It's on Spotify. It's on CastBox FM. I think it's on or CastBox Podcast. It's on so many things. Be a subscriber. It helps track the numbers, which helps get me advertisers, which is another great way for me to earn a living (laughs) is getting ads on this podcast. Um, I haven't had any in a while. And here's the deal. Uh, That's how you can uh, support the podcast for free is just subscribe. And it really makes a difference. Everyone counts. Okay, so here we go. And of course, for extra fun behind the scenes or whatnot, follow the podcast at Jen Kirkman podcast on Instagram, as well as at Jen Kirkman pod on Twitter. Um, Let me just make sure. No, no, no. It's Jen Kirkman podcast on Twitter as well. 
No, it's not. It's, hang on, twitter.com. Honey, this podcast is going great so far. What's she talking about this week? She can't remember the the um, Twitter account for her podcast. Why doesn't she write it down? She thinks she's going to, and then she never does. But I see her. She's typing it in as we speak. Okay, so let's just get this out of the way. I am recording this episode on October 6th. It is slated to come out October 14th. Who the fuck knows what's going to happen between now and then? So much happens every day. It's like diarrhea is just shooting at us just out of the butt of, I don't even know. I don't even like to talk about diarrhea. Why did I say that? It's just that all the other analogies have been taken. Donald Trump is exhausting me. He's exhausting me. His personality is just so off. I know that there's, look, I have Trump supporters in my life and they're like, I hate the guy, but I want the policies. I want the right wing in charge. Okay, I get it. I get it. Is this recording? I get it. I mean, I don't get it because I'm not a fan of those policies, but I, I honestly got to say at a certain point, We've got to be like the man is out of his mind, and he's uh, the 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 reaction to COVID. The the oh, it's not a big deal. The steroids he's pumped on, lordy, lordy, God, you know, it's just a whirlwind, and it's like I don't want, I don't want to wish for anyone's death. Oh my God, that's not my personality. But but the thing is, I I just wanted to shut up, just shut up, whatever it takes to shut up, <laughs> just. Oh, just fifty-one fifty him. Just put him, put him somewhere. Just hold him down. And just shh. People are dying of this fucking virus. It's not the flu, and he knows it. He said it to Bob Woodward. He knows what this is. I don't care. I don't care to analyze anymore why he's not taking it seriously. I don't care. At the end of the day, he has lost his damn mind. I do believe that he has dementia. I have seen signs of it with people in my family who had it. And now he is on steroids that make you absolutely incapable of making decisions and of behaving normally. This is what the 25th Amendment is for. Transfer of power while you're going through this. The videos he's making. I mean, every day my emotions are going crazy from when he made the first video, when he went into the hospital. And he just sort of looked and said, I'm going to Walter Reed. It's going to be good. I was like, he looked terrified and he looked like a little boy. And the fucking liberal in me. It's not even a liberal in me. It's a goddamn Catholic in me. Can I tell you something? I went to Catholic church, well, growing up, once a week. As far as I know, I mostly have not been traumatized by the church. I, I know people that were physically traumatized by priests. I have them in my family. I'm not denying that. My, my parents don't go to church anymore because of the abuses of the Catholic church. So, so we're all caught up on that. Oh, trust me. But what I'm saying is, you know, a lot of people have like weird repressions or weird self-hatred things. And I didn't, I didn't get that from the church. I, I got lucky. I some things went in one ear and out the other, and some things stayed, and I feel like the, the good things stayed. And I've got this goddamn sympathy problem. You know, just when I think I'm Jesus flipping over the tables of the money changers going, get this shit out of the temple. 
Then someone makes a face where they look like a little boy, and I can see that they have been a victim their whole life, even though they grew up to be a monster that victimizes others. They started as a victim, and I go, oh, I feel sad for you. I sometimes feel sad for Donald Trump. Don't at me. But when I say things like, oh, why can't he just get sicker? It's not because I hate Republicans or I I disagree with his politics, so he should be on a ventilator. No, you fucks. The way he's handling this is dangerous. He is putting people's lives at risk. People are catching COVID from being around him. He's acting literally like he needs to just be wrangled. A giant tranquilizer dart. Just something. And it's that frustration when you're under the thumb of this, what it just feels oppressive and traumatic and triggering. And my God, especially for, oh, just especially for everybody. Honestly, I was going to say for women, for everybody. And it just, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I find myself thinking thoughts I don't want to think. I ultimately want what's best for the country. So however he needs to not be in charge is fine. It's not about a revenge thing where I want him dying and gasping. I really I take no pleasure in that. But I I am I am just at the end of my rope. I mean You know, it's interesting if you've ever had people in your life that ended up no longer with us, that ended up um dying by suicide it it's sad of course but there's been moments with those people in your life where you're like I don't know anymore just I don't know I can't you're you're making me crazy it's like that feeling you know you don't obviously don't want them to die but it's not as simple as they were an amazing person and a sad person and they cried and died and now I'm sad it's like complicated where you're like Fuck, that time that I wasn't there for them because they were just too much. It was impossible. They were violent. They were screaming. They were cursing you. They were, it's a lot. There's a lot of levels to what's going on with Donald Trump. There are so many levels. The audience of one he's performing for, which is the father in his head who didn't love him. There's, there's this little boy staging these plays, the, 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 the doing reshoots in front of the White House, taking off his mask. Some people say because he wanted to be a tough guy. Others say he was having trouble breathing. I don't know. But I'm tired of analyzing his every move. It is stealing my soul. So I had therapy today and I was like, I'm having a full body reaction to this man. I can't, st- I, I, it's not that I want him to die, but I can't stand every second. I feel better than I felt in 20 years. Everything's going to be great. That's not accurate. Wait until it's over. Shut up. Have some dignity. When you are totally in the clear, say, I had the best health care in the world. I got experimental drugs that are not approved by the FDA. No one else can get these. And if you could, they would be so much money, you couldn't afford it. Other people have died because they didn't have the treatment I had. Like, just wait till he doesn't die and then come out and be like, that's why I'm enacting a bill to bing, 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 and bong. But he's not. He's coming out and saying he's fine. It's not a big deal. Don't be afraid. Don't let it dominate your life. This, this is reckless. This is reckless.
And I would say it no matter what effing president was doing it. If it was President, my best friend. If it was President Robert Smith of the Cure. Oh, I'd be disappointed. But I would be able to admit it. So anyway, I felt like I was going insane. I was having full body just dread. Just kept checking Twitter. Again, not because I wanted to see that he's dead, but I wanted to see that he'd shut up. And maybe I didn't expect this, so it wasn't a disappointment I was feeling. It was just, oh, no, stop, stop, stop. Stop getting your bullies. Getting Stop activating your bullies. Stop equating COVID and mask wearing to some lack of masculinity. Look at that Tommy Lauren, whatever that freak is. She's like, Joe Biden should put a purse in his mask. Hey, that's a great idea. Joe Biden should sell purse masks. I'll fucking buy one. I've got a a fun mask chain. It's really, really glam. It's almost like when, you know, you put a chain on your glasses. Ah, and I do actually have a little mask purse. It's black and white with gold and you clip it on your purse and it is just a delight. If I went anywhere more, I would be rocking those things. Oh, so I just had to get that out of the way that I just, this is where I'm coming at from today. And so I was like, at a certain moment, I just had this full body, felt like I was wearing the heavy weight thing at the dentist. And I just felt like I couldn't take a deep breath. And I just felt internally, ugh. and so I did, I, you know, I practice what I preach. You guys know I teach those relaxation classes. I went, I did my breathing, I did, um, my uh, meditations, and I calmed my body down. That's all I had to do, which then calmed my mind down. And I had a therapy session, which thank God I didn't talk about Donald Trump at therapy, but I, I talked about other things. But then I came out of the session and I was like, oh my God, I've gone a full hour without thinking about him. And I'm not going to go another minute thinking about him today. I can only do what I can do, which is live my values. And I believe it's not a belief. I, I know that this is a virus that is killing people. And then if it doesn't take you down right away, it will leave you with complications that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy for years. It's insidious. And the way you die from it is alone gasping for air. I don't want that. I don't want that for anyone in my family. I want them to gasp for air with me by their side while I'm... Check in my emails. Hospice can get very boring. Um, so here's the thing. All I can do is what I can do. And, and this is one thing that I do. Is I donate all of my merchandise earnings to fundthefrontlines.org, which is an organization that helps healthcare workers, it's a nonprofit, to get the PPE they need, these people on the front lines. Hospital beds are almost back up to in New York. We are coming into cold and flu season, um, which I realize doesn't have anything to do with COVID in that sense. But, you know, there's still people that get very sick from colds and flu who have pre-existing conditions who are elderly. So now they're going to be in the hospitals as well. Then the COVID people. It's a lot. And, you know, winter, things always spread more because of people are indoors more. People are closer together more. We're not supposed to be, but for some people, it's unavoidable. So that's what's going on. And I 
have healthcare workers in my family. My niece is a COVID nurse. It means a lot to me. By the way, I don't need to have these people in my family for me to give a fuck. But I'm just telling you that I hear the stories and they are goddamn horrifying about what happens to people once they're admitted to the hospital. And again, might not happen to Donald Trump. He's got those cocktails. We've got to get those drugs in mass production for ourselves. But until then, we don't have that. And people are dying or suffering really badly where it's touch and go. If they recover, they are fucking traumatized by how close it came. So I want these healthcare workers who don't have all the supplies they need to have them. So uh, everything in my merchandise store, you can buy a mask or a mug or a notebook or a pillow or a hoodie or a sweatshirt or a long sleeve shirt or a t-shirt or a tank top, a baby onesie with all kinds of fun things, all kinds of fun sayings that are things from my stand-up act or things from this show. And again, After the company that I work with called Public, after they take their cut, what they give me, I donate 100%. We have donated over $3,000 so far to fundthefrontlines.org. We've been donating to COVID-19 charities all throughout the year, but I made the executive decision back in August that it will just be Fund the Frontlines from now on. So I'd love to, I'd love to hit a goal of getting them $10,000 by the end of the year. What, What say you guys, you know? What, what about that? So you can go to jenkirkman.com and click shop, and that will take you to my merchandise store. I don't know how else to say it. That's the quickest way to get there. Or you can, if you're on Twitter right now, go to my link in the bio, click that, and it's one of those links that brings up a million other things, and you can click uh, buy my merchandise. If you're on Instagram, link in bio, same thing. I feel like I'm saying Lincoln bio. Read Abe Lincoln's bio, then process, then you can buy something. <laughs> uh, but, but really, jenkirkman.com, click shop. And then once you get into the merchandise store, you can see all the different things that I have. I mean, why wouldn't you want a pillow, a really comfy pillow, white pillow, with a picture of my sister's cat mittens? She's sitting in a bale of hay, and it says, hey, girl, come on. You need that in your life. So that's what I can do because I'm just so outraged. It's like, I, I don't know what to do. I can give, I can take the extra money that, that I'm earning that, that honest to God I need and I can give it all away. That's what I can do. It feels good. Now, now let me just be very honest. Sales started spiking when I said I'm giving it all away to charity. So, so I don't want to act like uh, I could keep this money in the sense that if it wasn't going to charity, most people would be like, I don't need to buy your merch. But I like that it's going to a good cause. So one fed the other. So, okay, so that's where I'm at coming to you with this kind of energy. But I can't, t- I cannot tell you the good mood that I'm suddenly in because I just took an hour away from the news. I, I have been glued. I have been glued. I don't, I don't like that about myself. I'm not easily manipulated into, you know, even if even if those of us who don't support him don't feel we're manipulated by him, we are because we follow everything he's doing. What's happening now? We're anxious. We need to be informed every second. We also have lives and souls outside of it. Go look outside. Whoever the president is has nothing to do with that tree outside your window. I mean, in a way it does because the tree outside my window is on fire because California's on fire. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. It's not really on fire. 
the tree, I mean. Okay, let's talk about, let, let's, just, let's get into the 21st century. How many of you thought we'd have flying cars by now? Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. I really, I really never, I really never thought about it. I, I always thought, yeah, in the future, but not the future, not my future, maybe 20 80 after I'm gone, there'll be flying cars. But I, I don't know why. I mean, I guess it's not even that hard to. We have the technology to make a rocket fly in an airplane. It's not like we can't get a car off the ground, but I guess there's all these other elements to it. To me, what would, what would make a flying car situation so difficult is redesigning air roads. You know what I mean? And having it not interfere with actual f- airplanes. I mean, imagine if you're driving to the airport. I think about Los Angeles as a seven-lane freeway <laughs> that takes you to the airport. All of the cars are just jammed in. Now imagine if they're all hovering 100 feet off the ground. Well, aren't they all going to be taken out by that plane landing? Because when you're near the airport and you're on the freeway, those planes come right over your head. You can see people's faces in the window. So if our cars are in the air, I mean, there's certain things like that. I think we got to work out where these cars are flying. You know, and what kind of licenses people are going to get. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? And will there be police up there like, woo, that's a drunk driver. No, it's just that I'm flying and I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. But I, yeah, I never thought of flying cars in my lifetime. And, and it's interesting to think, well, if there are flying cars that are ready to be, like a prototype of them is ready to dick around with right now. That's the scientific term, dick around with. Well, they must have been working on this for 30 years, at least. So it's interesting to think, what are they working on now that we don't really know about yet that, that could happen in 30 years? Anyway, so I just read this. Hyundai... And I'll take you through what I went through reading this, because it's interesting to notice your own thoughts about things. You know how, like, just to stereotype, like, older people can be so like, what is it now? I can't, in my day, it was simpler. Every once in a while, I catch myself doing that, like, oh, what do we need this for? And then I go, well, is it hurting anyone? Well, I don't know. I don't have the information yet. Well, why don't you read about it and see if maybe there's some good to this? But it's going to be different. Well, all right, it's going to be different. You know, I don't want flying cars to harm the environment. I don't want them to, I don't even just harm the aesthetic. I mean, that's going to be the bottom line, right? Harm the aesthetic of what I'm already used to looking at out there. I mean, it might look weird. It might look too futuristic. It might look impersonal or dystopian even. I don't know. Or you might just get used to it the way we've gotten used to everything else. I don't know. So, 
Hyundai, confident on flying cars, steps up plans for full lineup. South Korea's biggest automaker is stepping up its pursuit of flying. Isn't it amazing how South Korea is so? They're just good at everything, like K-pop music, the makeup scene, the skincare scene in South Korea is next to none. They handled COVID-19 right quick. Now they're making flying cars. It's just amazing that Kim Jong-un is right upstairs, just ready to nuke them at any second. It's like, hey, dude, your country's a shit show because you're not having a democracy. Look at what everyone's doing down there. Oh, it makes me crazy. Don't, don't even get me started. South Korea's biggest automaker is stepping up its pursuit of flying cars, planning a full lineup of aerial vehicles that it, uh, of aerial vehicles zigzagging city skies within a decade. Within a decade? Wow. Hyundai Motor Group is developing models that will carry five or six people within metropolitan areas and a bigger version to fly between cities. Ooh, this is fun! Jaiwan Shin, head of its urban air mobility unit, said in an interview, the company expects to enter the market in 2028, he said. Wait, I thought they said this was going to be happening within a decade. 2028 isn't 28 years. What's happening? Oh, maybe it's different. The market is different than the, uh, you know, the test cars. 28 years, I'll be, I'll be in my early 70s. Come on, let me have a flying car. Get this done quicker just in case. What if I'm like an old granny, but like I'm cool, you know, and I've got like scarf in my hair and I started smoking again. I'm like, I'm in my 70s. Who cares? And I'm just smoking a butt and driving my flying car. Oh, I love it. Just blaring music. Groove is in the heart. Oh, there's Granny playing her 90s music. Eat it, kids. And I put my foot on the gas. There she is, flying granny. That's right, everybody. It's me, flying granny. I'm ashing on everyone. So, what's so interesting about it is I've always had such a big fear of flying. Don't have it anymore. Took me so many years to get comfortable with flying, but I don't think I'd ever be afraid to fly my own plane. Not a jet plane, certainly, but... uh, The thought of going in between cities, like, that is exciting. And that's great for stand-up. I mean, that is going to change touring. (gasps) You can just fly between cities? I mean, without getting your bags checked? And you know what I mean? There's no hassle. I mean, you can do that driving, but driving is a hassle because there's traffic and someone could hit you. And I don't know. This is... This is game-changing. This is fun. Again, I'll be too old. Oh. All right. People who are always stuck in traffic on the road will realize how convenient it is to move to aerial vehicles, said Shin. That is when we will see the demand explode. Right, but how does it... And we're just moving everyone off the road into the air. How does it help traffic? Or is it that some people will stay with the road, some people will stay with the air? 
just sort of like the working from home model. Some people go in the office, some work from home. It cuts down on traffic, but not everyone always makes the jump. So let's see. Unfazed by regulatory and safety hurdles, a slew of plane makers, auto manufacturers, and startups are seeking to disrupt the transport industry with flying cars and parcel hauling drones. Now, I don't know. I don't like the drones thing. You know, I, I don't know why. It's just too much. But I like a flying car. Morgan Stanley a- analysis analysts, hello, in their most bullish estimates, predict such technology could lead to a $2.9 trillion industry by 2040. And even their most pessimistic view pegs the value at $615 billion. See, this is great. This is how we get moving. Everyone in the coal mine that's like, we got to bring back coal. No, honey, we're flying cars now. You get out, you get out of the coal mine, join us, get you a job. We're going to make some money, get out of this world debt. And we're going to start flying around and having fun because the future is about progress. It's not about regress. And we're allowed to have some goddamn fun around here. And it, uh, if it's uh, safe for the environment, even better. Step on the non-gas and fly around. What a goddamn treat. This is what I, I went from reading this article going, ah, oh, come on, flying cars. This shit's getting crazy to being like, what? why am I doing that? Who? Don't go to auto, grandma. Go to excitement. My God, is that thrilling. Hyundai showcased its flying car concept developed with Uber Technologies, Inc. at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas early this year. The company sees pilots from service providers such as Uber initially flying the vehicles before they become autonomous around 2035. I want to volunteer to do this. Can I? Can I? Can I? Can I? Can I? Over the coming years, the industry and regulators need to tackle questions such as what kind of a pilot license is required and how to eliminate or minimize the probability of accidents. Well, you're not going to eliminate, but minimize, sure. New rules and infrastructure is required to ensure the vehicles don't interfere with plane and helicopter traffic. Can you imagine if one day we just get to the point where there's like floating stoplights in the sky and they're just kind of hovering somehow? Or there's some kind of technology in your flying car and, it, and it's like a little stoplight on your dashboard and it says red when you're supposed to stop and then it tells you green to go. So it's like invisible stop signs in the sky that show up as things on your dashboard. Oh my God, they got to get me on this. Okay. Over the coming years, the industry and regulators need to tackle questions such as what kind of a pilot license is required and how to eliminate or minimize the probability of accidents. No, did I just read the same thing over again? Oh, boy. We were going to hire that girl to help fly the, the, um, the planes, but she read the same sentence over on our podcast. We think she might be. She's getting up there in age. Yeah. So, uh... Shin said that some flying cars may debut as early as 2023, but Hyundai is targeting 2028 when more infrastructure has been built and public awareness is higher. To attract early customers, Hyundai is trying to reduce the vehicle's cost and noise level. Oh, right. (laughs) You don't want that loud shit. While keeping safety as a key focus. Besides people carriers, Hyundai is working on a variant meant for hauling goods with as much of a capacity as 660 pounds. The company hasn't decided where to build or first introduce its aerial vehicles. 
Airbus, Boeing, and startups such as Lilium are among the competition. Vahana, the self-piloting air taxi developed by A3, Airbus's tech-centric Silicon Valley outpost, completed its first test flight in 2018, and Boeing's prototype made its maiden flight in January last year. Xpeng Inc., a Chinese electric car maker, last month unveiled a prototype that can carry two people and levitate at up to 25 meters. Um, It looks like a Japanese flying car got off the ground for about a minute. So, okay, so this more gets into like marketplace, bing, bing, bang, bang. Uh, So let's go to the quick Japanese flying car from Bloomberg.com. New Japanese flying car gets off the ground for about a minute. These cars look so weird. They look exactly like what you think they would look like. Just kind of futuristic, round shapes, maybe too much, too much car. Like it's too many things on it that you don't need, but. Made by the NEC Corp, the vehicle is essentially a large drone with four propellers that is capable of carrying people. The Japanese electronics maker demonstrated the machine flying without a passenger at a Tokyo suburb on Monday. Um, This was last August 2019. So it's in, it looks like almost like it's in a batting cage, you know, Um, and it just went up maybe, well, I don't know, three meters, 10 feet above the ground, and then it settled back down. So that's a start. That's a start. I mean, that's not going to get you to work on time. (laughs) I hovered above the ground and went back down. Um, and then I got in my real car and drove to work. But, you know, my flying car will work eventually. So this is exciting. I only hope they'll let me drive one. When I'm older. What do you guys think about flying cars? Email me. I seem fun at gmail.com. I love when you weigh in on things. And just give me your un fettered unfiltered opinion even if you sound like an old kook if you're like i don't like it just tell me why i enjoy hearing everyone's take on things so i made this video and can i just complain about stupid shit for a minute so back to trump so you know he made these videos right he's like i'm at walter reed it's going well here's the update And then he made another one like a day later. And he's like, oh, my God, I've learned so much. I made a video. So so whenever something's in the zeitgeist, right, like pretend I'm pretend uh, Saturday Night Live is just me and my Instagram. That's what the late night show is. You would comment on major things of the week. I think one major aspect of Trump getting COVID is he was making these videos updating on his progress. Now, I hate what he was saying in the videos, but the concept of him making a video to update people is not crazy, right? So I thought this isn't about Trump bashing. This is just about borrowing from something in the popular news, the popular news. (laughs) I sound like I am a robot AI that has been programmed to come to this country to sound like I'm a podcaster. And I'm like, well, the popular news and, and the people that are like, you know, that are uh, making me are like zapping me right now because they're like popular news. That's not a thing people say, robot. You're going to you're going to blow your cover. But the thing I'm saying is. So I thought Trump actually has covid. Right. So he's updating us on how he's doing. 
what if I were president and I don't have COVID and I'm way more careful about it than he was, but I still give an update every day. That's the premise. So this is what's happened. I don't know what's happened. I don't know what generation this is that is not understanding comedy, but they're not understanding comedy. Nobody can hold a premise. So you start with a premise. So here's a sketch. A guy is afraid of spiders uh, and he lives with his family. Go. Okay. So that's what you have to remember. He's afraid of spiders. So then his son comes home from school and goes, Dad, I've got a book report. It's all about tarantulas. And the teacher gave me one to take home and he holds up a box. There's a tarantula in it and the dad screams. Now, this is just a made up sketch. I'm using it as an example. In order for you to laugh throughout the sketch, you have to keep remembering what we set up at the beginning. This dad is afraid of spiders. We know that his son has a tarantula and the dad is saying to the son, son, I don't know what your book report is about, but whatever it's about, I want to just get in there with you, get my hands dirty, work on it. You've got it. And we're laughing because we're like, oh my God, he's afraid of spiders. He doesn't know it yet. His son is a tarantula under the table. We see it. What's funny about that sketch, that sketch is not funny on its face. What's funny about this sketch is you are keeping in mind the whole time we know that the dad is scared of spiders because that was set up at the beginning of the sketch somehow. And now we have information that the dad doesn't. Ha ha ha. If you just watch something about someone being afraid of spiders, you'd be like, oh, I guess they're afraid of spiders. It's fine, but it's not the point. It's not what holding a premise in your head is about. So I thought, what if I were president? What would my videos look like? So then I, I delved into my brain and said, well, there's been a few times during this pandemic that I thought I had COVID and I'll tell you why. Because at the way beginning, I flew to Washington, D.C. without a mask, was in elevators without a mask, was within one foot from people without a mask, did a comedy show in a auditorium for 2,000 people. You get, the, get where I'm going. Not a man. This was March 8th. New York was about to close down the Amtrak the next day. COVID was here and we didn't know who had it. There was no testing. I'm on planes. I'm in hotels. Oh my God, I got so lucky I didn't get it. But when I got back from the trip, I suddenly had a fever. It wasn't high enough to, for the doctors to be concerned. I had a sore throat but I didn't have a cough and I was exhausted. Now it could have been my acid reflux. When you have silent reflux, which is not heartburn, it causes your stomach acid to go up into your esophagus at night when you're sleeping and you wake up with a sore throat, a scratchy raw throat, post-nasal drip, which makes you then have a dry cough and you clear your throat a lot, which then disturbs your vocal cords and it's a whole fucking mess. So I have to eat a very regimented, non-acidic diet. That is not fun. So a lot of times I'll moderate. And then I get a little crazy and I stop moderating and I start just cooking every night like I'm an Italian chef. And then I have a red wine with it and then I get reflux city. Okay, so I, I didn't have COVID. I mean, they'd never tested me. So maybe I had a mild case. I don't know. I tested for the antibodies once it said I never had it, but then I found out those tests are like way too new. They don't even work. Who knows? I'm going to be very honest. I still think I had a mild case of it. 
and that I will see effects of it affecting me at some point in my life. Or maybe not. Maybe I'm just losing my mind. But the point is, there was a whole couple weeks where I was coughing and friends were like, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't know. I think I have COVID. But also I had a glass of wine, but then I did this and I did that. And then there'll just be times when out of the blue, I will be sitting there and be like, maybe I did get it from an Amazon package. Remember those days? And so recently, I, as I talked about on this podcast, I did this game show. They did rapid testing when you arrived. And then with all of this Trump stuff, they've been talking about the rapid testing that a lot of businesses, including the White House, you do the rapid testing. It doesn't always mean it's accurate. And then also they weren't wearing masks in between testings. But and then I started thinking, oh, my God, what if my testing wasn't accurate at the game show and blah, blah, blah. So comedy is you have a thought and you go, has anyone else ever thought this? You might have a thought that's like, I always use this as an example. You've got a great aunt. She lives in a mansion. She's going to give it to you when she dies. You already know this. You really could use the mansion. Your great aunt's had a great life. She's not really doing much. She just needle points. She's 80 years old. She goes to the doctor. The doctor says, uh, Oh, Ethel, you're going to live to 100. And she tells you that and you're like, oh, great. But secretly you're like, oh, fuck. I'm not going to get that mansion for 20 more years. That's that's a sick thought. But it's human. So you might, that'd be something you talk about in stand-up. You exploit a thought you had once for comedy, exaggerate it, let the bit go where it's going to go. And people laugh because it's cathartic because we've all had these terrible, selfish thoughts before. That's all they are is thoughts, but our thoughts can scare us. So I made a video. You're like, where is this going? I made a video where I said, it it was one minute after Trump's video came out, I made one and I said, imagine if I were president, these are the videos I'd be putting out every day. Now it's already funny or interesting (laughs) because I don't have COVID. So the premise is, If a president has COVID, it's very natural to make a video and update the people. If the president doesn't have COVID and to do a nightly address about your neurotic thoughts that day about COVID is wasting everyone's time and making everyone fucking crazy. I think that's funny. So you have to keep that in mind the whole time. Oh, this is a presidential address. So I said, hey, everyone, it's me, President Jen. I just wanted to keep you updated on my COVID-19 status. And this status is that I don't know. I mean... I got a test. I'm waiting for the results, but it's one of the rapid ones, but I'm not sure. So I haven't done anything. I mean, I sat outside of my friend's backyard and I had a mask on and she didn't, but I think it was fine. But then I don't know, see if I have this sore throat, but I also think it's because I had a glass of wine, but I was so stressed wondering if I had COVID that I poured a glass of wine because I'm like, fuck it. You know what I mean? And it was, that's what I was doing for a minute. I got over a hundred direct messages on Instagram from people going, let us know the results of your test. Oh my God, I hope you're okay. That video really stressed me out. I really related. I hope you're okay. Mike, it was a job. It was me exaggerating my thoughts. If I really thought I had COVID and I was very worried, I would not make an Instagram video where I'm drinking wine and talking to you guys. That would be my private hell. I would tell you if I had it and I would do proper contact tracing and I would tell you, I would tell you after I get the test, oh, guys, I just tested negative for COVID. What a ride. I actually thought I had it last week. But never in the midst of it would I go, hey, guys, I think I have COVID. 
I said at the beginning, this is me, President Jen. And then I ended it with, this is me. But people don't listen to it. It's so disappointing. It's like, why bother doing comedy when literally no one gets the joke? And the people who get the joke, you never hear from them. And I'm not saying it's the funniest thing in the world. My God, you could be like, oh, it just sucked. That's great. At least you understood what it was, though. That's all I'm asking. You can think it sucks all day long. It's just a free thing I put out to be silly. But, oh, my God, comedy is not fun. People don't get into comedy because you know why? Because you have to do comedy for people. And people are ever-changing. And whoever you think is going to like your comedy is based on some fantasy about how people used to be. They're evolving every day, and they're getting fucking stupider. More stupid. Whatever the English language is. I follow uh, the Ludlow Hotel in New York City is one of my favorite hotels. And they've been closed, obviously, since the big outbreak in New York City. Well, they just reopened. And I was reading, they had, they had maybe a five-sentence post on Instagram. And they said, we were so sad when we had to close our doors in March, but we are reopening tomorrow and there will be all new guidelines and social distancing and blah, blah, blah. Every comment was, we're so sad to keep us posted when you reopen. I hope you're able to open someday. And the Ludlow Hotel just wrote back to each person, we are reopening. We're, we've reopened. We, you have to read past the first sentence. You have to read past the first sentence. Oh, my God. Thank God this podcast is free, right? Because you're like, what the fuck? But some people pay for this because they get extra bonuses. <laughs> and I am grateful to them. And I've got friends that pay at the $35 a month level. They get five bonus episodes a month, plus the video version, plus whatever else I throw at them. And they get a personal shout out. This week's Patreon of the week is Allie Mullins. Oh my God, Allie. She, I gotta tell you all about Allie. I mean... Speaking of all this, like, craziness, Allie's a scientist, and she has been sounding the alarm about a new disease called I Can't Find the Itch, and everyone's laughing at her, and she's onto something. She is foreseeing an outbreak of a virus called I Can't Find the Itch. You know when you're sitting around, and your leg itches, and you go to scratch it? And it isn't satisfied. And you're like, wait, that's not where the itch is coming from. And you're like, what? Is it over here? And it almost feels like you would have to take a laser and go inside of your leg and scratch your bone. That is, you know, a once in a once in a while feeling that some of us get. Similar in scale of importance to like your hand falls asleep. You know, it's it's nothing serious. It's just maddening. Well, Allie is a scientist who's trying to sound the alarm that there's actually a viral version of this that doesn't just go away if you ignore it. You will feel like you can't find the itch all day long all over your body and you will go insane. And no one will believe you and you'll be at work like, uh, and everyone will be like, are you withdrawing from crack? And it's like, I can't find the itch. And they're like, I've heard about this virus. And half the country will be like, I can't find the itch is a hoax. And then the only cure for it is to smear some kind of cooling gel all over your body, but then it means you have to wear a special suit over it, almost like a saran wrap. 
And so some people will be walking around in the cooling gel and the saran wrap and other people won't be. And Allie was just telling me, so Allie works at this lab down in New Mexico and she said, you know, all of her coworkers are cool with it and they go out for drinks every night, you know, before the pandemic. And uh, they would talk about this and and other people would overhear them and say, I'm sorry, what are you working on? And she'd say, we're working on a cure for I can't find the itch. And everybody would say, oh my God, I totally have that sometimes. And she's like, well, yeah, it's a virus. Right now it's deep, deep, deep in the woods of formaldehydea. And they're like, where's that? And she's like, it's it's a very small place uh, outside of the Bahamas. It's its own island. People are like, I've never heard of formaldehydea. And Allie's like, well, there's a lot of places. And they're like, I don't believe it exists. And Allie's just always up against people that she's like, I'm the scientist, I'm telling you. And she went to, she actually got into college when she was eight. And the the TV show Doogie Hauser was based on her. And at the time, you're like, well, it wouldn't be believable if it's a girl. So we're gonna make it about a boy. And she was like, okay, fuck off. But they gave her a ton. They basically bought her out, like gave her millions of dollars to use her life story. And so then she saved that money and she invested it in this lab in New Mexico where they work on weird viruses. And it's called the Weird Virus Lab. And people always come into it thinking it's a record store. And they're like, weird virus, cool. She's like, this is a lab, get out, get out. And, you know, the alarm sound, you know, because they can't have any germs coming in. But um, anyway, Allie's great. And, And the way that we met was we were actually both in New York and we were on the subway and she saw me itching my leg, scratching my leg, unable to find the itch. And she said, does that happen to you a lot? I said, no, once in a while. She goes, me too. She goes, I want to start researching why that happens. And then in her research, we kept in touch, she realized that uh, there's a potential for it to become an epidemic. And just last year has become one on the island of formaldehyde and no one is paying attention because we're so busy with COVID. But when, you know, when there's one pandemic, there's always another one brewing and you got to have your best people keep their eyes on that too. So that's what Allie Mullins is doing. And she says she listens to the podcast with the other scientists and it keeps them laughing, you know, while they're trying to help people with what's going to be the next most annoying pandemic in the world. And Allie's great. She's married. Um, and she has, uh, she doesn't have any kids, but they have two llamas. Um, she and her husband, and uh, I think the llamas are named Sally and Allie. Um, she named one of the llamas after herself, which I'm, her husband got kind of mad at her about. It. He was like, that's narcissistic. And she's like, well, it's a female llama. I mean, he's like, well, my name's, you know, Jerry. That could be a woman's name. And she's like, okay, I just don't want a llama named Jerry, though. And so, like, they had a real rough patch. But she asked me not to talk about it on the podcast, so I might have to edit that out. But it was bad. Like, he went and slept in a motel for a while. And then he got, what do you call that? Um, not fleas, uh, bed bugs. And then he brought them back. And she was like, all this, because you can't deal with that the llama's not named Jerry, you know? Anyway, so she's spending a lot more time at the lab. I'm going to be honest. I don't think she and her husband are going to work out. Um, but it's not my business. But I'm just like, get on a dating app, you know? Um, anyway, anyway, anyway. So thank you, Allie. She is a $35 a month subscriber on Patreon. If anyone else wants to go to Patreon, go to patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman and join up. Okay, everybody. I complained enough about people not getting my bad jokes. Is that really an episode? Oh, who cares? That's what's been going on. I'm quarantining in a pandemic. And that's what's going on. I thought I would talk about drunk history. Rest in peace, drunk history. It is it is canceled. Um, 
I mean, that doesn't really affect my life. It affects my friend Derek's life, who worked on it 24-7. It was his baby, his show that he created with Jeremy Connor. You know, I simply did six episodes, one which will never air, one I did last year. I simply did episodes over the years. And I retired in 20... I retired in 2014 or 15, I think. No, I retired in uh, 2014. And the last episode I ever taped was November of 2014. And then I didn't do it for a few years. And then I, Derek convinced me to do another one October 2019. Um, I reached out to him. I said, when do you think your final season will be? And he was like, well, maybe this year. I I would do it this year just in case. And I said, "Uh, okay, you got it. I'll do it. I'll come back. He's like, listen, we've got way better hangover remedies this time. And he was right. They did, and I did it. And I did it about the first woman swimmer, Annette Kellerman. She was from Australia. Hello, my Australians. And, you know, swimming back then was a full clothing experience. I mean, women went to the beach in full parasols, dresses, collars up to their, you know, there's no bathing suit. They waded by the water, and I don't even think they took their shoes off. It was just standing near the water. And she started swimming for fun, and she kind of designed her own bathing suits, and she swam the English Channel, and, uh won a lot of things that normally men had only won. And she became kind of this vaudeville star touring all over America. And she actually went to Revere Beach, Revere Beach in Massachusetts, and did something kind of, she had this little Madonna energy to her, like she was a little bit of a, uh, you know, she liked to poke at societal norms, and she wore her bathing suit, which looked more like a wrestling onesie, but that was like scandalous back then for women. And she paraded around on the beach, and she got arrested for indecency. And so when she was traveling as a vaudevillian star, she did this thing where she went into a dunking booth and kind of swam in this booth. And it was very sexy, almost like a striptease. And she had this like very voluptuous, big, big boned and curvy body. And back then she was deemed to have the perfect body. And um, there actually was this contest where these scientists measured women. (laughs) They decided hers was the closest to the Venus to Milo. And so, but in her act, which was kind of risque, it just, you know, they were, it was allowed because it was vaudeville. But she was really the first person that if it weren't for her, then we wouldn't have had, um, not Ethel Merman. Oh my God, everyone always confuses them. Um, Ethel Merman is a singer. Oh my God, I'm going to say it right now. Not Ethel Merman. Esther Williams. Esther Williams was the synchronized swimmer, movie star. Anyway, Annette Kellerman was really, really cool and interesting, and she had to leave Melbourne, Australia to move all around the world. Her mom really was horrified by this. Her mom taught uh, 
college there. She was in the arts. Her dad was really the only one who stood by her. He traveled with her to London so they could do all this swimming stuff. And then she got really famous. And then after her, you know, swimming years were over in terms of doing it for a living, she still swam every day. And she started writing a newsletter for women about how swimming is the number one best thing for your body. It keeps you um, sexually primed. It helps your libido. It helps with constipation, keeps you regular. And she would mail this newsletter if you joined it. Like, like me, she had a fucking newsletter. But it was almost like the first goop. It was almost like Gwyneth Paltrow's goop. And she became this sort of lifestyle... I guess it would be like a lifestyle blogger these days or an Instagram influencer, you know, but she would actually mail it out to you. So she was very interesting. She was kind of the first everything. She was like the first Madonna, the first Kardashian, the first Paltrow, the first swimmer. Her story is really, really good. So that is the last episode that I taped back in October. And then Derek told me that, um, yeah, Drunk History was just kind of canceled and Production was halted semi because of COVID, but then they just were like, no, it's fine. And so I, I don't know. I, I mean, I told him I wouldn't like go into details on my podcast, but but they're going to try to find a way to show, you know, the episodes that they did make. And I know everyone always has their ideas, put it on YouTube. No, we're all aware of YouTube, but these are legal issues with Comedy Central. Once you sell a show to someone, you do not own it anymore. So you don't get to just take it back. You've got to sue people's pants off. And who wants to do that? You know, you find out you've lost your job. You don't want to go, well, let me take all my money into a lawsuit. So we'll see what happens. But Derek wrote a great article today in Vulture magazine about the 25 funniest drunk history segments ranked. And I just, I don't know, I wanted to just give like a goodbye to drunk history, you know. Um, and for those of you who don't know, I, I always, this is such an ego problem of mine when people go, I loved your drunk history. I'm like, I've done five. And one of them won Sundance. One of them became the pilot for Comedy Central. One of them was the only third one ever to have been done. And I was the first woman to narrate. So which one do you mean exactly? <laughs> and so um, Derek knows this is important to my ego. <laughs> so he's a, he called me the queen of drunk history in a Rolling Stone article years ago. But here's how it really started for me. I didn't know Derek at all. Um, he used to be in a sketch group called Derek and Simon. Uh, Simon later went on to be on The Big Bang Theory. And Bob Odenkirk, better call Saul himself, was their kind of director of all their stuff. My ex-husband was their editor. And so it was really funny. I just remember every once in a while. And I knew Bob from, you know, comedy around town. But, um, yeah, Bob would just come over and sit with my ex-husband and they would edit in the little office area. And then sometimes Derek would come over and sit and they would edit. And uh, you know how editors are. They don't necessarily want you sitting right next to them. But Derek would come over and give notes. And then my ex-husband would be like, cool, cool. Let me incorporate these notes. Um, and then I was like, you know, sometimes I'd go into wife mode, like, can I, you boys want a drink? 
and uh, Derek would stay and have a drink. And then sometimes my ex-husband would be like, I got to get back to editing. And then Derek and I would just sit in the living room and get drunk. And we always loved to talk about the same couple things. We, we both were really into religion and spirituality, just taking it apart, seeing what we thought. What do we believe? What do we don't? What are we agnostic about? What do we just really not believe but wish we did? And we just get into these discussions. And I had recently heard a Episcopalian priest. No, I didn't hear it live, but he is uh, from Pasadena. And his name is Ed, and he got kind of well-known from Oprah and all that. And, um, you know, the Episcopalian Church is very liberal and very, you know, the priest can be married. But Ed had come from like a Southern Baptist preaching kind of background, but then became an Episcopalian priest. And so I heard this tape because you could used to... Uh, they used to be available as podcasts. And I found it very soothing to listen to. You know, I was going through a real hard time back then. I had no career. I was temping for $10 an hour. And I was 32 years old. And I'd been doing stand-up for about 10 years and 12 years and whatever, 11 years. And uh, yeah, it was just temping and struggling. And I don't know. I, I looked to anything spiritual. I loved stuff like that. I loved thinking outside of myself. And so... Ed had this great story about Oni Judge, who was George and Martha Washington's, in quotes, favorite slave, and the horrible, horrible um, just reality of our founding fathers owning slaves and the Fugitive Act and what Washington did to try to get her back. And in the way that Ed told the story, you know, she went and uh, was hiding in the woods and there is documented evidence of, I think, a New Hampshire newspaper talking to her. And, you know, she was a, a woman of deep faith and just said, my freedom comes from God, not the government. And there was just something about the way Ed told it. I, I just really loved it. And so I told Derek that story, but I'm like real drunk. I'm like, and then Ed said, my freedom comes from the government. And he was like, oh, my God, you would love this thing I'm doing. He's like, He's like, I have this thing, like when people are drunk, they're really passionate. And he said, I'm doing this thing called drunk history, but I don't know, it might just be about jazz. He didn't know like what it was going to be at first, but basically a friend of his and him got drunk. His friend was drunker than him. And the friend was like, let me tell you about jazz. And Derek was like, okay, I know about jazz. Okay, you're going to keep going. Okay. And the friend wouldn't stop. No, but you don't get it. And when he played like this, he's like, no, I got it. You're just drunk and annoying. Okay. And so Derek thought it was kind of charming and funny how passionate drunk people are. And yes, everyone is really drunk in drunk history. Oh, my God. Every interview I've ever done. I have a crazy question. Are you guys really drunk? You're not revealing. You're not fucking Woodward deep throat here. I've got the scoop. The whole point is that we're drunk. Pretending to be drunk is never funny. Actually being drunk on a reality show is what the point is. Motherfuckers. Okay, anyway, so Derek uh, told me that and, and he said, I've done two of them. Uh, would you want to do one? You could do that story you just told me. And I was like, yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here doing it anyway. So that's how it used to be. He came over with Jeremy. Someone had a camera and that was fucking that. And... uh my ex was out of town shooting a movie and I was 
home on the couch drinking so much wine that I threw up into a plate, which they artfully did not show. And because uh, it really was gross, like when red wine vomit looks like you're bleeding to death, it just it looked more upsetting. And then like I tend to start crying when I'm drunk, uh, when I'm throwing up. <laughs> so it wasn't like fun. It was like, <laughs> it looked like someone was like, I don't know. I don't know. So uh, but we've got the aftermath where I'm like, I'm sorry, I threw up into a plate now. And then they left because that's what they do. So there was there's no professional crew. And then I um, wanted to walk down the street to this 24 hour diner to get some pancakes, which is not a bad idea. This is before Postmates and all of that. But I locked myself out. <laughs> I was in my pajamas. I'd walked down in my pajamas. You know, like, acceptable pajamas. Like, Mr. Brady kind of pajamas. But... So then I get back home. I'm like, where the fuck are my keys? It doesn't even dawn on me that the keys are, like, in the house... I called Derek. I'm like, did you take my keys? He's like, are you outside? Did you leave the house? I'm like, yeah. He's like, we told you not to go anywhere. We asked you if you needed anything. I was like, I didn't think I needed anything. Then I wanted the pancakes. So I managed to stick. I have a tiny wrist and I stuck it through the mail slot and I unlocked it and I got in. My wrist was kind of cut up, but it was fine. I did it. And then I was sick for two days. But that was the first drunk history I did. And then after that, Derek has always said that the passion with which I told it, like how much I cared about the characters, kind of changed the tone and created the tone for drunk history from there. And narrators started doing more of what I was doing. And really focusing on acting out what the people were saying, as opposed to just giving dates and times. And so I didn't know that. So he has credited me with the direction of how he wanted drunk history to go for it to have more heart and more feeling. So not to pat myself on the back, but that's just an organic thing that happened. And then as it got more and more successful and more corporate, whatever, you cannot get that drunk under the thumb of a network, which is great. They're there to protect you. So you, you know, they make sure to have someone drive you home and they make sure you don't go anywhere and they've got a breathalyzer there and oxygen meter and they have oxygen if you need supplemental oxygen and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I ended up doing five and the pivotal one that was part of the pilot that got picked up was the one with Winona Ryder where she played Mary Dyer. But um, so Derek wrote this article in Vulture magazine, uh, vulture.com. You can just Google best drunk history segments ranked. And uh, Derek's uh, favorite one that I did was the Winona Ryder one about Mary Dyer, the Quaker in Boston, who basically set the stage for us to have religious freedom. You're welcome. She was hanged for it. Um, Jen Kirkman's the undisputed MVP of drunk history, having slurred her way through episode after episode, balancing a glass of white wine in her hand, she talks us through the story of Mary Dyer, who was hanged in Massachusetts for the crime of being a Quaker. And who better to be her mouthpiece than Winona Ryder, who catches every millimeter of Kirkman's droll wit, rolling her eyes with the power of every woman who's had to acquiesce to the feelings of fragile men. 
Kirkman shouts, she throws pillows, she cries about how many more people visit Jim Morrison's grave, and he made terrible music than Mary Dyer's. Absolute queen shit. That was a very nice thing to write. So what's interesting, fun fact, is that Winona Ryder's dad was like this hippie, he's hanging out with Timothy Leary. He texted Winona and she told me back when we were in touch during this process, she was like, my dad says you're right about Jim Morrison, that he was not accepted by the real hippies and everyone thought he was full of shit and phony and he wasn't a poet and he was just an asshole. And I was like, yes. So that's what I always, people got mad at me about that. Yeah, doors are amazing. I'm like, they're a party band, relax. And then one of my other favorite stories is in that Oni Judge episode, Jason Ritter played uh, someone who worked for George Washington who was going to get Oni back and she's hiding in the woods and then he just (laughs) sees her. He just shows up and goes, oh, hey, Oni, because that was the way I told it. Um, oh, hi. Oh, hey, Oni. There you are. (laughs) (coughs) Oh, my God, I have COVID. And uh, so what was funny is I'd never met Jason because you don't need to meet the people that are doing the lip syncing. The reason I'd met Winona is because she'd come to the premiere party well after it was all filmed and done. And uh, one time I met, I think it was LaGuardia Airport. I'm in this really, it's an airport in New York City, but it was like, Oh, it was the JetBlue terminal. That was that one's always like smaller. And there was really no one there. It was just me going through security and putting my stuff in the bin. And then I turn and Jason Ritter is the only other person there. And he's in line like six feet behind me. And I look up and he waves and he goes, oh, hey, Jen, there you are. <laughs> just like the Oni thing. It was funny. I had to be there. He is such a delightful, nice person. John Ritter, if you're out there, your kid turned out great. Anyway, so there you go. Rest in peace, drunk history. Canceled before it's time. You know, it happens whenever new people take over a network. They're like, we're canceling everything and we're putting our own stamp on things. It's just how it goes. It's a lot of times not even based on ratings, not even based on budget. You know, it just is what it is. I wasn't planning on doing another one after this, so... Don't worry about me, but I did want the one I did to air. I thought that would have been funsy-dunsy. But hey, there you go. Rest in peace, Drunk History. A great, great series. Uh, I guess we've come to the end of the episode. I mean, I don't have much more to tell you guys. I feel like this one was kind of like a stinker dinker. Uh, by the way, I am part of the Misfit Toys Collective started by Jimmy Pardo and Matt Belknap of Never Not Funny. Some of the other shows on the collective are Doug Loves Movies. I'm going to be on an episode of Doug Loves Movies coming up next week. Never Not Funny, of course. Mike Schmitz, the 40-year-old boy. I think his podcast is very similar to mine, and that is a solo podcast. And, of course, the Todd Glass Show. We all we all love when I'm on the Todd Glass Show, getting silly. Um, you can check out episodes of all of those podcasts, and there will be more episodes joining our collective. And... Um, yeah, send me an email, iseemfun at gmail.com. Tell me how your quarantine is going. Talk about Halloween. I don't know, whatever you want, whatever's coming up for you. And then again, this episode continues over on Patreon for members at the $10 level and up. I will be talking about a juicy Hollywood gossip story. I'll be talking about 
Willie Nelson and all of his lovers revealed in a new memoir. <gasps> Scandalous! So uh, go on over there if you want to hear that 20-minute bonus episode as well as last week's 20-minute bonus episode. That was about Gwyneth Paltrow posing nude on her 48th birthday So and many, many more things. So this episode continues on over at patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman again if you want to sign up for the $10 level and up. Otherwise, everybody, thanks for being here. Thanks for being loyal listeners. You don't even have to be loyal. Just thanks for being listeners. And until next week, have fun. (laughs) 